All right. We started on the book of James last week, and we will continue on as we uh, go verse by verse, looking into the text. Good morning. Good morning. All right. James knew it was pretty easy to live the Christian life. He knew it was very easy when things are going well. When things are going great, it's easy to live the Christian life. But how does the Christian do when it starts getting a little dicey, a little bit tough? How does one respond when things are not going well at all? What do we do when the storms of life come and just with full force just knock us down? And sometimes it's easy to get off the course and shipwreck our faith. That can happen. So the readers that uh, James has in mind, he knows where they're at. He knows they are in danger. They're in danger of persecution. And they're facing all sorts of trials, difficult trials, various trials. So we know that they have been dispersed all abroad. They're just like everywhere, not just in Israel now. They've gone everywhere, mostly due to persecution. They had suffered the loss of their homes, maybe even divided from their families, separated from their possessions. Can you imagine that? Really having nothing just to get away from the pressure that was on them. And many were not even able to escape the persecution as the place they went to had even heavier persecution. So it's like, where could they go? You know, they had fled. So James writes this to navigate these people through the difficult situations that they're in and that they could endure, that they could go through these things. And he tells them that they can. And matter of fact, not only that, not only endure, but James says to joyfully endure. Now that's a strange bedfellow, isn't it? To joyfully endure. And so we, we saw that last time. Last week we, we saw how radical James is in bringing forth this, um, this view, which is the biblical view. And it's not only in James, but we found out that Jesus taught it, and so did Paul, and so did others in uh, the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And so that's what he's exhorting. And he says, consider it all joy, my friend. <laughs> everything. Everything. So, you know, this is really hard to understand from the human way uh, to have our faith tested and we will get endurance and we're to do it joyfully. Uh, and, and then, not only that, but to submit to this. It's kind of like a refining process, isn't it? He's refining us. Sometimes it hurts, but He's refining us. So, if we do that, then it, He says, let maturity, let endurance have its maturity result or its perfect result. Let it do that. Submit to what God is doing to you and realize it's good for you. And there's a further ingredient and he says that we need to enjoy this joyfully, but what's the further ingredient? What's to bring, as we bring glory to God in this, it's really using the thoughts of God, taking His knowledge that He gives to us and turning it into our lives as wisdom. And that's the further ingredient that he has. And so that's where that we are headed. James tells us how to obtain this wisdom from God. It's all right here. And so all of this is in context, even though it just looks like just a hit and miss 
verse here and there, a verse over here, and it's just like badly conjumbled. That's a new word I just made up. I like that word, conjumbled. Conjumbled. That's wisdom, folks. No. That's just lack of words, and I just came up with it. True wisdom, though, supernatural wisdom. And that's really what true wisdom is, supernatural wisdom. And it, supernatural wisdom allows us to understand the trials of life that we go through. Understanding this is not available in the world that is around us. Out of all the books that are around us, what the world is saying has absolutely nothing to do with this wisdom that we have here, that we talk about. It really doesn't. Matter of fact, where have you last heard about wisdom? Did you hear it yesterday, maybe on the news? Or how about baseball games, uh, football games? You know, if you do that, maybe, maybe not. Uh, wisdom in school, uh, you would think so, but I doubt it. Uh, how about uh, anything in the government? Do they ever talk about wi- using wisdom there? Oh, that's a great example, isn't it? Uh, yeah, if they if they realize they're lacking of, they would seek it, right? As it's saying here. But you know what? The only place you can get this true wisdom, this supernatural wisdom, is from God Himself. And I want to tell you here, He is the place to go to, isn't He? It is Him. I believe the promise of God that we find in this verse where it says, But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I want to tell you, I think this may be one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. Amen. Matter of fact, I will go one step further and say it might be the greatest promise to the believer who is living in this world today that he needs wisdom. I think everybody would agree. Man, do we need wisdom to operate in this world. And God is there ready to give it to us. I mean, He's just there. Just come on. Come on. It's right here. Please take it. It's almost like He's begging us. But He commands us, actually. But He's ready to give that to us. So God will give it. God gives the wisdom. And He gives us the divine insight to understand the eternal matters of the universe. That's amazing. That's where we can get it. You know, there really aren't a lot of books written about wisdom today unless they are coming from this angle. Go to the library and just try to look up books dealing with wisdom. The few that you might find is probably going to be dealing with philosophy. We find out at the end of their lives the philosophers are forlorn forlorn and destitute, depressed. But we can understand the very mind of God. Now granted, we're not going to understand all. Matter of fact, we're not even going to understand half. Or 25% or 10%. I mean, it's very little that we have right here. Someday in eternity, we'll know a lot more than we know now, just immediately, instantly. But we have a lifetime of study right in His Word of God that can give us this wisdom that we seek for. And we forget it. And then we have to go back to it and remind ourselves, don't we? 
Constantly. That's why we always are to be in this Word. We need godly understanding. We need to think like God thinks because the way the world is thinking is all upside down and you've probably been discovering that more and more in your walk with Christ. So whatever the adverse circumstances that you're in, we know we need a special measure of understanding when that happens. You may not be going through anything now, but if you store it up right now, then you can use that whenever you need it. So, it would be my great prayer, in the midst of all the troubles that people will have, seem to have, we learn that actually trouble is intended to drive them not to finding what is within ourselves, right? I want to find myself. That's what people are doing. Young people are trying to do that, trying to discover themselves in here, and they can't find it in there. Or to the wisdom of men, because we realize there is nothing there, but to God, we find our wisdom. The only source of true wisdom. That's the path of the right response for everything. So, let's stand. Let's go to this book of James, which I think just has so much for us here. It's for us. The Gospel is for us. Grace is for us. You know that? For you. This blood's for you. (laughs) Verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Father, we come asking of you this wisdom. And we know you will give generously and it is ready and waiting for us. Help us to learn to come to you in every matter. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Alright, and be seated. Our context... As we put this together, this verse comes right off the heels of what uh, we had in the first four verses last week. After he's talking about joy, uh, even in the trials that you have, he says, let endurance reach its perfect result so that you would be mature, so that you would be growing in Christ, that you would be complete, lacking in nothing. That you'd be complete, lacking in nothing. And then boom, right in verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, he says lacking nothing, but if you do lack something, this case here, wisdom, ask a God. He says, in case you don't get it, that trials were designed for you, uh, Luke, you said in your prayer, uh, almost that identical thing. What was that? Tailor-made. Tailor-made for us. When you understand that, and that is done for your good, then that's really what James is saying. If we understand that, and we can have joy through that, you know, not maybe a laughing, fun manner, but realizing you know, that we're at peace with God, and we know He has designed this, 
it is all within His plan so that we would mature. He doesn't want us to stay stagnant. He brings along things in this world. You know, one of these days, I, I don't think, I, I know there won't be any kind of testing that we have here, you know, in glory. I mean, we, we will reach that perfection, won't we? And we'll have joy all the time. But he says rejoice always anyway. So if we know that, then we can sit here and say, trials are for our perseverance, and in that, we can still have joy, knowing that it's going to turn out for our good. And if you have a problem with that, if you don't get it, then here's what you do. And that's probably all of us. Sometimes we just don't get it when it's happening. And then we go to verse 5. Remember this for the rest of your life. Whenever things aren't going your way and you don't like it, go to James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Right? Okay. And that's not an option. That's not something that you need to dwell on and think about and say, well, do I want to do this? It's mandatory. It's a command. You don't have any other option whatsoever. You are to go to Him in prayer. Trials are intended to drive us to dependency upon Him. And there are times when things are going so smooth that yes, we might be thanking God for where we're at, but yet uh, it's really lackadaisical. It's not really heartfelt. Uh, Really, that is one way that God can bring us to hard prayer whenever we have are dealing with something, whatever it may be. And that's a good way for us to pray hard. James realizes these kind of times uh, of trials. And people of God often do lack wisdom. And granted, it is great to go to a brother or sister in Christ and get some wisdom from them. We are to lift each other up. But ultimately, we go to the Lord. And that's really where we're going to get it all anyway. People can be of much help. That's what the church is about and edification. But ultimately, it really still comes from Him. He gives our help. Where's my help come from? (laughs) So he adds verses 5 to 8 to verses 1 through 4. And uh, we see that God is demanding... And really, he's demanding that we would have desires that would seek his wisdom. It's not a bad thing when he commands. When he commands, it's for our good. And he wants us to ask of him. Ask. That's a context. Asking God. Enduring with uh, joy just goes against the natural grain of us, our inclinations. Um, we are prone to ask, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? <laughs> right? And that's the key. Me. Me. You know. Uh, but that's usually the wrong question. I think really sometimes God does reveal to us why things happen. But there are many times when He doesn't reveal to us why it is. How can I understand this thing that's happening? How can I understand God's perspective? There we go. Now you're thinking when you say, okay, I want to look at this from God's perspective. What do we do? We naturally tend to go, okay, why is this happening to me? What's our inclination? To look at me. To go down deep within 
And sometimes it's good to examine ourselves. Yes. Don't overdo that, but examine yourself. But look at it from God's perspective. Well, that's unique, isn't it? That's really what God wants to do. When you pray, do you know that's really what you're really wanting to get at? Not the way that you want it met, because we'll always have that the wrong way. Usually. Unless we're seeking out, well, this is what God is thinking. God, what are you thinking here? I want to see it the way that you think. You know, that can help us navigate through the storm. And when we do that, even though we don't get the full answer, it's still bringing glory to God because we're trusting in Him. We're going, thank you, Lord. I'm still trusting in You. Um, That's how you grow in maturity. That's where the wisdom comes in, isn't it? So Scripture has a lot to say about the topic of wisdom, doesn't it? You can go on and on and on and on because wisdom is God. He is wisdom, isn't He? One of the greatest treasures we can possibly have is wisdom. And of course, how do you get wisdom? Out of the Bible. If we turn to the Old Testament, and we will, you ready to turn? Let's do some turning of some pages. You're going to get a good cross-section view of what God's wisdom is, how He does it, and what He does, and how He gives each individual the kind of set of skills that they each uniquely have. And that's a key word in the Old Testament really dealing with wisdom. Skill. Skill. If you turn to um, Exodus, in the Pentateuch, the first five books, in the Torah of Allah, right? In Exodus 28, verse 3, Moses is writing. He's a writer of this book. And he's talking about Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, uh, their priests, the holy garments. Uh, it's for glory. It's for beauty. And he says in verse 3, You shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, to set him apart, that he may minister as priest to me. Now, we are priests today. But they were the go-betweens at that time. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, they were the priests. God said, give them the garments that they need to be the priests to do the duties in the tabernacle that's going to be set up. And so they must have these garments that are representing holiness, glory, and beauty of God as they represent God to man and as they represent man to God. They're the go-between. Mediators. Now, our mediator today is Jesus Christ. That's why we all have access to God directly. But you, you notice there, did you notice certain people that he gives a skill to to have this wisdom so that they would be able to make these garments as beautiful as they did? Whatever you do, did you know that God gave you that, that uh, skill to do? And you do it with the best that you possibly can? And you like to you know, maybe even share that? You know, it's a gift. It, here, he says, the spirit of wisdom. They're skillful persons. Not everybody can make those holy garments, but a few could. God made that happen. You see how he uniquely designs certain gifts for certain ones, and everybody has spiritual gifts too. I think that applies to this. But let's turn to the uh, same book, chapter 31. 
just a few pages over probably, verse 3 through 5. What about this wisdom? What about this wisdom in the Old Testament? We continue on with this skill. I have filled him... Now it's talking about Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Gets specifically who this guy was. He says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. He's filled with the Spirit of God. In wisdom. Catch this? In understanding, in knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship. Alright? You may not be able to sew, but you might be able to build things. Architecturally. Be able to work on things. Where'd you get that from? came straight from God. Your hands. This guy is a craftsman. Look at this. Why? God gave him this wisdom to be able to do this, to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze, the finest things of the earth, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him some other people. And it says, he's put it in the hearts of all who are skillful. I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you. So, Moses isn't going to make these things. God surrounded him with people that are going to do what they do and do it very well, skillfully. Isn't it amazing? You just take a cross-section of the church, just take a little bit of the body of Christ right here on McCarty Street, sitting here today. Everybody has certain little skills and then spiritual gifts. and We're all designed. Even unbelievers who do not have spiritual gifts, they still have been designed with skills that you can be amazed with. The only problem with them is they use it for the wrong reasons. For their own pride or whatever, right? But do you see what God does? Isn't it amazing? How, how does the world keep on going the way that it does? Even as evil as it is, isn't it amazing? You ever wondered, well, God put it into this guy's mind to be able to do that. I wish I could have come up with that. How come I didn't? Because God didn't give that to you. He gave you something else, right? It's just amazing. Yes, even unbelievers, he equips and skillful. I'm, I'm thankful that there are doctors, surgeons, may not be believers, but yet they skillfully work on your insides sometimes. Muscles and bones and nerves and all that. You know, It's incredible what God does, even in that. Well, let's uh, go one step further into Exodus. This is easy today, isn't it? Turning pages like this. Be, be, be alarmed whenever I say easy. Watch out. Right? 30, 36, 1 and 2. Now, Bezalel and Oholiab, we've met them, and every skillful person in whom the Lord has put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. They're going to be able to do this. He commands it. He puts it into them. That tells you that you didn't come up with the skill that you have God did it. God did that. It also extends to even people who execute battle plans. People who take on necessary actions. Got to do whatever they got to do. 
people who speak prudently with wisdom and people who use their time carefully. Look in Psalm 90 verse 12. I'm skipping over a lot of verses. I probably have a lot more in your outline there, but I never touch them all probably. But, um, it's just for the lack of time, even though I'm given a whole hour. We're doing pretty good on time today. Did you notice that? Psalm 90 verse 12. I like this. So teach us to number our days. To number. You only have so many days to live on this earth. Teach us to really appreciate the day that we've been given. And Bob got um, gave us a message in prayer today what Barb had said last Tuesday at the Bible study. There are really only two days. It's today, right now. And then what? Tomorrow, or the, the day that Christ comes back, right? So it's the day that you're living. Right now is precious. The very moment, right now, even right at this very second. Why? That we may present to you, look at this, a heart of wisdom. If you're using your time right, buy up the time, it says in Ephesians 5. If you're using that time right, you're presenting to God a heart of wisdom. Isn't that incredible? When we use our time right, something that would glorify Him, and that could even be mundane things. Cooking, washing the dishes, working on something that you really don't want to work on, and realize, well, this too, God has given me the ability to do this, and this really is coming from God, because I could be in bed, laying there, and never be able to get out of it. Ooh, that starts changing things, doesn't it? Wow, we were all able to get here. We we walked here. We were drove here. And here we are. We're thinking. We're turning pages with our hands. All those things that we have. It's pretty pretty interesting how God has designed us. And we're using our time wisely this morning, aren't we? We're using our time. God is glorified in this. What we're doing right now at this very moment, you say, well, how can I glorify God? If you're paying attention to His Word and saying, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to use my time like, you know what you just did? You glorified God. He takes pleasure in that. Yeah, He's taking pleasure in this moment, this very moment where we're at and what we're doing because He appointed this time for each one of us to be in this Word at this particular time. That's how great it is. Biblical wisdom. Focuses on practical living. It focuses on obedience. Whatever He gives us, He commands us to do. We know what His commands are. Living obedience to God's revealed will. Look in Job twenty-eight, twenty-eight. Job twenty-eight, twenty-eight. It's just before the Psalms, right? Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Job twenty-eight, twenty-eight. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. You want wisdom? Here it is. Fear the Lord. Realize that He's holy. The holiness of God is one of the biggest topics that you can study about God. 
the holiness of God. Featuring on this God who is to be revered. To be awed at. Are you in awe of this God this morning? That's fearing God. Being reverential. Realizing that He's in control of all things. And it's also relational in the Hebrew, which means we have a personal relationship with this God who is sovereign over all, who's going to judge the heavens and the earth. He's going to judge mankind. Everything is going to be judged by God. If I, you know, I'd be afraid of God if I weren't a believer. Now there is a there's a holy sense of a Christian, but we're never to fear God saying, Oh, don't do this to me, God. Oh no. You know, it, but yet at the same time it's it's having that healthy fear of God, knowing He's much bigger than us, and we don't want to fall under His discipline. You know, there is that sense, but that's not what all fearing God is. It's being in awe of His holiness and His majesty, His supremacy. And then and living in obedience to that. Look in Psalm 111. Boy, the Psalms have a lot about wisdom. The Proverbs have a lot about wisdom. But we're turning to those this morning. Nothing new. All it's doing is reminding of us. And these verses should bring to light what it is. Here it is. The fear of the Lord. We saw that in Job is the beginning of wisdom. We'll see this in Proverbs. And now we see it in Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. There we go. If you fear Him, then what will you do? His commandments. His praise endures forever. So this is wisdom. This is prosperity. He goes on in the next Psalm, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord. You're blessed. You are blessed in a great way. And he says, who greatly delight in His commandments. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You delight in doing what He says. So the Bible affirms this. James is talking about the skill that enables us to live obediently before God in the midst of difficulty. And the result will be a truly beautiful life that God has given us that glorifies God no matter where you're at in life. Well, there are some more meanings of wisdom in throughout the Bible. We just picked out a few. Let's go to the New Testament. We probably have prayed for people that they would be enlightened, that they would have the wisdom of God. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, and this is in a prayer. He talks about giving thanks for the, the Ephesian people and all Christians. Verse 17, why is that? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of glory, right? You getting it? may give to you a spirit of wisdom. That's what his prayer is, a spirit of wisdom. And revelation, a revealing, an opening up, an unveiling in the knowledge of him. He wants them to have the spirit of wisdom to know him, to that to be revealed. He says in verse 18, go further, I pray that the eyes of your heart 
the very soul, your very being, may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. Oh, what a hope we have in that calling, right? That you would know that. And then get this, He doesn't stop. What are the riches? Not just a little bit, but what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance? The very inheritance God gives to us. The riches of it. Not a little bit, but the riches. In the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? Those who believe. That's a key word as we go on further in our text today. So, it says in Ephesians, look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Look at this. Another prayer Paul had. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Yeah, you got a lot of love? Well, that it would abound even much more over that and over that. And then he says, in real knowledge and all discernment. That's wisdom there. It's being able to take the knowledge that you've been given by Scripture. You can be full of head knowledge and not do anything to your life. That's not wisdom. That's just head knowledge and it gets you nowhere. But the heart-filled knowledge now practices it. It's consistent with what you believe and know. So he says, in real knowledge and all discernment. That's wisdom. You'll be discerned what is true and what is not. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. He comes back. That's what he prays for. They'd be, you know, like in Ephesians, they'd be enlightened here, that they'd have real knowledge and discernment. They'd have this wisdom. And then look in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, and that's the next book over. So far it's been pretty easy to find, hasn't it? 1, verse 9 and 10. It talks about we, we don't cease to pray for this reason. Also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask another key word at the day that you may be filled with what? with the knowledge of His will what's His will? filled with the knowledge in all spiritual look at this wisdom and understanding I think that's a great prayer matter of fact I think that's really the best prayer you can have for each individual in this church and in your family your neighbors your co-workers if they're believers if they're unbelievers they need to come to this knowledge of the truth otherwise they can't have God's wisdom why does he pray for that wisdom and understanding well verse 10 says why so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so that your walk that your life that it would be consistent with what you believe and what you say this is what you do and James is really concerned with that all the way through his five chapters. It's really about being doers of the Word. Okay, you say you believe that, then you show it by the way that you live, right? That's, that's the idea. So, and that's what he says here in Colossians. I, I pray that you'd have this wisdom so that and be increasing in the knowledge of God and that you'd be fruitful in every work, that you would walk in this manner worthy of the Lord. 
So, some Old Testament passages about um, wisdom, New Testament passages. I want to tell you, you could go on and on. This is really just, this is just the tip of the iceberg on wisdom because that's what all this is about. So we have to see our need for wisdom. That's the problem. Sometimes we don't see our need for wisdom. Oh yeah, we we like to be wise. But by nature, we are know-it-alls. We do. We know it all. I've been to church. I don't need to go today because I already know that. I've been through that. I've read that book. I already know that. So let's move on. Um, I'm sure that every culture idolizes the same kind of thought. We are strong in ourselves. The problem is, is our pride. And uh, pride is endemic to the very human nature, to the heart. That's our worst enemy. It's our own pride. And we want it to be cut. We want it to be split, sliced out of us. And it's a, it's a rest of our life type thing. You know, He just continues to cut at that. Uh, we have to admit that we really don't know what we need. And so we must go to God to see what we need. We need wisdom. We must humble ourselves. Later, James will say that. We are to humble ourselves. Go to God. Realize that we are to look to Him. If you remember the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, it says a lot. We can get very complacent This is a warning to us. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy, and we can take that and say, that's not necessarily uh, possessions, even though we really are loaded. (laughs) You don't consider yourself to be rich, but you are physically, but also spiritually and in every way. But he says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Right there's the problem. We are rich by Him. We are wealthy by Him. But to ever say that we need nothing, we are to be content. But here He's saying, we don't need that. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. What real, real, real riches are. And white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. That's what they really were. They didn't have the clothes. They were naked in the spiritual truth. And I sat to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He's talking about a spiritual aspect. They thought they had it all. And um, we see that they had no needs, they thought. So that's what it takes. There are prerequisites when we come to God. That's to be humble before Him. And that's something that trials can do. They can humble us, can break us down. So there are things that we 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 have to see. We have to see our need for wisdom. We have to we have to know our God. You have to know our God, the way that He thinks, the way that He is. Uh, we have to know this: that He can deliver the goods. I know one who will always come through. And I think everybody here would say that. We know He has it, and we know He can give it. Right? Look in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. 
back to uh, the Old Testament for a moment. Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord, Yahweh, our personal God, gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He even says He stores it up. He's ready to give it whenever it's time for you to have it. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. From His Word comes knowledge and understanding. From His study, from your study of the Word about who God is, you know He can do certain things because you know it says it right here. And you know where it comes from. Uh, Proverbs, turn to chapter 21, verse 30. No God. There is no wisdom and no understanding, no counsel against the Lord. Whatever's going on out there, there's wisdom doesn't come from anybody else, and they can't challenge God's true counsel, right? His wisdom. There's no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel against the Lord. It's all His wisdom. It comes from nobody else, nowhere else. It's all His. That's that's the God that we know. Well, how, how do we get it? Well, we have already said by His Word. That's where uh, the the whole idea of what knowledge is about. It's by His Word, and then by the power of the Spirit who enlightens that Word. He turns the light on. Have you ever read God's Word and go, "Oh, I never saw that before." Oh, wow! And you start to ponder on that a little bit, and you go, "Ooh, boy, that's just what I needed to see." Look at the wisdom of God here. Look what He has for me. Look what He has for us. The power of God's Spirit just turned the light on. And now you get it. You didn't get it before, and now you do, and you needed it at that time. God gives it. Isn't that kind of... seems magical? It's not really magical. It's God knows what you need at that time. Isn't that amazing? He speaks to you. So we get it from God. You know He's uh, that. And it's really, it's focused on Christ. Christ is the one who has that wisdom as it is applied to us. Look in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. This is beautiful. And in verse, well, we have to read verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance, fully assured of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. Mysterious. Resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is what? Christ Himself. Now look, here's a verse 3. Christ. In whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How do you get this wisdom? If you're a Christian, who do you have living in you? The Holy Spirit? You have Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Christ resides in you. He dwells in you. The treasures of wisdom and understanding. People go into the the mountains and they will mine and try to get 
ores, gold, silver, precious metals. People will lose their lives when they're going in there, but it's a treasure. And they're willing to risk their lives to do that. Matter of fact, I think um, that is found, I believe, in Job. So it's all centered in Christ, isn't it? That's where our, the treasure is. Are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, look in 1 Corinthians 2, and it's always by the Holy Spirit. I've turned to this passage quite often. First Corinthians two, starting at verse six. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, of this world, nor of the rulers of this age. Wisdom doesn't come from there. They're passing away. They'll die. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. It's veiled to the unbelieving world. That's why they don't write on things that we're talking about today. They will not talk about that because it's veiled to them unless God opens up the curtain. And to some of those He will. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Can you understand why politics is not going to give us the answer? Don't concentrate on that because it never has. And it never will. And all nations have been judged or will be judged. Because they have not the wisdom of God. They can start on that, but eventually it will go to way, the way that man goes. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. (laughs) But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Right out of the Old Testament. It is written that way. Now, for to us, get this folks, this is how much that you have. You have all the treasures God intends you to have. Look, for to us, God revealed them. To certain people, He tears back the curtain, He opens it up, it's apocalypsis is the word there, and that's how we get the word revelation. Or you've seen the apocalypse of John, or the book of Revelation. Apocalypse is the same as revelation. Or to uncover, to peel back, and to be able to see what has been hidden. That's been a mystery. And to some people, He gives that too. Here it is. This is amazing. This is from the Spirit of God, folks. I'm not making this up. This is just what it says. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? So, you know, we, we know what our own thoughts are. But by the Spirit, we can know the thoughts of God. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. If you have the Spirit of God, then you can start knowing who God is. Now, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, 
Not their wisdom. But the Spirit who is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us. That's grace. Freely given. Given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, here we go again, but in those taught by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And that's why we can understand and talk about the Word of God. Who am I to take the Word of God and bring it to you? Who are you to read the Word of God and have understanding? Well, I am nobody. And all of us are nobody unless we have the Spirit of God and now we can understand these things, these words. But he says, a natural man, who's that? Unbelievers. And this is the way we were before we came to believe. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why isn't the world doing the things that we know that's righteous? Because it says it right here. They don't accept the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to him. That's why the world is going to get morally and morally worse. What we have, absolutely, really, it sounds like foolishness to them. That's why they hate when we quote Scripture to them or tell them things that are righteous. They hate it. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's absolute. You're a fool. Do you have any proof? A fool says there is no God. Okay. Can you give me some proof then? They can't give you any proof. Can They have no proof. They have nothing. There is nothing there. But what we're saying is absolute foolishness. And he cannot understand them. He is unable. Because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, tests all things, judges things, discerns things. They can't discern anything. But if you're spiritual, if you're a believer, you discern things. You have knowledge, you have wisdom. Yet him himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Who's known the mind of the Lord? That comes out of the Old Testament. Here we go. Do you see the last phrase, folks? This is shocking. We have the mind of Christ. There's your wisdom. There's the treasure. Think godly thoughts. Don't think the way the world is trying to make you think. Whatever the crazy things they're coming up with constantly. Don't think the way they think. Realize that they're thinking that way because it's natural. And so therefore you can still have a love for them. But yet don't be buying in to the absolute foolishness that they're trying to sell us. Right? And people are doing that all over the world to accept same-sex marriage is absolute foolishness. But to the world, it sounded like to people who wouldn't have thought of that like five years ago, all of a sudden, well, you know, they, they have the right to do whatever they want and it's okay. You know, I don't do that, but hey, it's okay if they do it, you know. Well, why was that okay before, or not okay before and it is now? Because they bought the lie. You hear something loud enough, long enough, you'll start to believe it. Unless you go back to the Word of God and say, oh yeah. Now, I have to ask of God the wisdom to get the next verse done. Okay. We just...
set this up, didn't we? Okay. Uh, what book are we in? Book of James, right? We've been kind of everywhere today here. Okay, Dennis. James is kind of back near the end, back there before Peter, right? Okay. Here we go. If any of you lack wisdom, okay, if you're lacking something, what's the next phrase? Let him ask of God. Well, of course. Yeah, right. Let him ask God. Every believer can approach God. We are priests. We can go to Him. You don't need to approach God through some kind of human intermediary. If you, ask, if you know Christ, you go right to Him, don't you? You don't need anybody to help you bring Him there. Uh, subjective feelings, that's not what we're after. Uh, we don't go around consulting worldly psychologists. But what do we do? We ask of God. Somebody can say this. You know what? It's, it's been rough. I, I'll be honest with you. I'll really be honest. I'm not really worthy for God to grant me any requests. It says ask of God, but I just don't feel that I'm worthy to do that. Have you ever said that? I, I've, I've sinned too much. I, you don't know what I've been through, what I've done, what I've thought. God, I can't, I can't, I can't ask this. I've sinned. Every Christian sins. We still sin. Every Christian has failed. Sometimes we've fallen flat on our face. God brings us right back up. We don't come based on our worthiness, do we? We come to God on the very merit of Jesus Christ and His blood, His righteousness. We come on that merit and that merit alone. Nothing else. God commands us to ask Him for wisdom. You know what? If we don't ask Him, you know what what that makes us? Unbelieving, in that sense. Disbelieving Him. Disobedient. An unbelieving heart if we don't ask because here He commands us. And that's an ongoing thing. He says, keep asking. That can mean sometimes you don't get the answer right away. (laughs) And He wants us to keep coming to Him. We have a generous God. We have a gracious God. And matter of fact, not only that, He is desiring, He can't wait to pour out His blessings on us. I kid you not. If we cry after knowledge, wisdom, and we lift up our voice for understanding, He says, if you seek her as silver and seek for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You do have to seek it out. You need to go into this mine and start mining out the jewels that are there. And they're not just laying there. You just pick them up. You might have to dig. You might have to read. You might have to study and ponder and think on it. And all of a sudden, boom, the jewel is there. The Lord gives wisdom. He has it available. He wants to give it to every seeking heart. But there's a sense in which He holds it back until you ask for it. That's what He's saying here. You demonstrate your love, your trust in Him. You demonstrate glory to Him, dependence on Him. I'll just turn to John 14, 13 and 14. This is Jesus. And Jesus is giving His last message to the disciples before He's crucified the next day. And in 14, 13 and 14, last minute instructions, boy, do they need it. He says, whatever you ask in My name, 
that I will do. In this same chapter, he says, hey, um, don't worry about it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You'll get to be there. Don't worry, that's where I'm going. They had really concern. He says, okay, now, they're not able to ask him in person. Before, it was a living prayer, and that there he was right with them. Now he says, now, when you pray, I'm not here body-wise. Whatever you ask in my name, in my authority, ask what I would be asking, Jesus saying, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says, if you ask me anything in my name, in my authority, authority, what do I always say? Stop in the name of the law. The authority of the law, right? You ask it in the authority of Christ, asking what He would ask, I'll do it. If you know it's biblically correct, it's something that Jesus would pray for, you know what? You've always gotten your answer. Why? Because God says it. That's what He says. So, well, I've prayed other things before and I thought they were right. Well, didn't He answer them? We need to think back. Well, it wasn't the way that I wanted. Did He answer? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, it came out to be the best. You know, um, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously. Uh, got to qualify that word all. The all is the believer. That's the context. Every believer in Christ who asks in faith. The word generously, haplos. I love this. He'll give it without any conditions. Just ask in faith. (laughs) It means freely, generously. He doesn't lay out the conditions. He gives it freely. He gives because He delights to give to His children what is the biblical request. Matter of fact, without reproach, what does that mean? No reviling, no upbraiding. He holds back nothing. He gives liberally, generally, um, reserva- uh, no reservations. There's no variableness, neither shadow or turning with Him that James mentions later in this chapter. He gives, and He gives, and He gives, and He keeps on giving. What is that, a Timex commercial or something? He just keeps giving. Have you noticed that He hasn't stopped giving? He provides, and it's every day, and every minute long, He keeps providing the air that we breathe. He provides the physical aspect to actually function and do what we do. He keeps providing, He provides life he provides all the physical things that we have, our houses and you know our food and everything that we need, plus the things that we don't need. And it's coming from Him. And you know what He's saying? He's not saying this. What? You again? Are you going to ask me again for this? I just gave you what you wanted and now you're back here again and you're asking for this. he invites you to ask for all the wisdom you need now we know there are some fathers that can be stingy and selfish and sometimes the standard answer can be no (laughs) or if they grudgingly give it to you 
Whatever you ask for, they'll never let you forget it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, okay. Yeah, but you remember... You, know, you keep, keep reminding me. Yeah, kind of have to budget your request, you know, carefully. Because if you get a yes on something, it'll be a long, long time before you ever get anything else. Another yes. But God is always glad to give. We give thanks for the food. You say, well, I said that this morning on the food that I... And then here it is at lunch. Now that here is at supper and I'm still, you know, saying thanks or ask, you know, the, you know, the things that we need and, and such. It says, ask in faith. Ask of God against all gentlemen without reproach and it will be given to Him. God is ready. God is willing to lavish His wisdom on you. It's a gift. And faith is essential. Just approaching God, Hebrews 11.6, without faith, we can almost sing that, is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. It'd be silly to ask of Him uh, of, uh, of a being who doesn't exist. Matter of fact, you can't have those two words of being and not existing because being means exist. <laughs> exist am I. He does exist. We believe that. He has the power to grant it. We come to Him believing. What a wonderful promise. No wisdom needed for the believer's perseverance through a trial is ever withheld from that believer who asks. It's never withheld. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He has never withheld anything from us. Matter of fact, He's given more than you can even think of. If you're going through trials and you can't understand... And it's okay, so most of the time you're not going to understand fully why he's doing that. But really when we look at it, he says that, oh, oh, it says in James 1, 4, 3, somewhere around there that, um, oh, he does these things for our perseverance. And as we go, as we persevere, we're having joy in that, knowing full well that we will reach maturity. I believe that. Guess what? He's just produced wisdom in you. Because that's how you get through these things. You can have a mustard seed faith. It starts small, but the more you know of Him, it gets bigger. Like an agricultural seed here. If you have faith that starts small, it will persevere, won't it? That faith will persevere and it will grow larger. Persistent in trusting Christ. And then He says, without doubting. You... It will begin, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Prayers, actions. We are to be consistent with what we pray for. We are to live out what we know to be truth. And he compares it to. The surf has no inner power or principle to direct itself. It's totally at the will of the wind as it moves it. And it's completely unstable. It's chaotic. It's a destructive force and it batters a boat or drives against the rocks. That's a picture of one who has a lack of faith in God. Trusting in God. Believe in God. We don't believe in our own belief but we believe in God, that He's going to do what is best. 
Believe in Him because we know how mighty and powerful He is. Prayer for grace. Sometimes we can pray for grace and then act self-righteously. We want our beliefs and our prayers to line up with how we, we act or how we act with our prayers. Lukewarm people, he said to that one church, I'll spew you out of my mouth, right? You're neither hot nor cold. Wavering people. They don't go to God holding on a confident trust. They don't really believe in that He's going to do what He's going to do. They're not committed to obey God. Not committed at all. And he says, those ones... Verse 7, For that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Not stable. There are people that want to argue with God. They want to get a dispute going and fight with Him. They're shaking their fist at God. They doubt the very purpose and the will that He's doing, that it's right. What are you doing to me, God? They'll argue back with Him. You should have not done that, God. Why are you doing this to me? It's something in one's life that doesn't go right. A debate with God. He's supposed to do it our way. That's why we pray. We want you to go to our will. That's not it, is it? We don't pray for that reason. We pray for His will be done. Whatever that is, I don't understand fully what that is, but whatever it is, Lord, I'm asking for this, but I want Your will to be done. Even Jesus said that in the Garden of Gethsemane. They can be a friend of the Lord and a friend of the world. James 4 will say later. Serving two gods at one time. Jesus says you can't have two masters, right? You have one or the other. Single purpose is the idea. Pilgrim's Progress had a character by the name of Mr. Facing Both Ways. <laughs> yes to this. Yes to this. Serving two gods. <laughs> Facing both ways. Let's sum up verses 5 through 8. And let's go to prayer. Let's do our song. Let's have Lord's Supper. It's simple. But profound. When you go into a trial, the way to endure that trial is to receive from God divine wisdom. Having the confidence that He gives freely, desiring to give it to you, we do not debate and argue with Him back because we know that He will not hold anything back and He gives exactly what you need to endure that trial. There's a condition, remember we talked about unconditional, but the condition is let your faith be real. Believing Him unwavering faith not vacillating going over here and then then question God I have known people that and they usually eventually leave they leave this body of Christ and they go on and unbelie- unbelieve in God they will say oh yes I believe that and the next day they see a passage and say hey why does God say this then huh? it's like they're looking for that so you give an answer okay oh I believe that next day yeah, but God says this, and God's lying. All of a sudden, it's like I don't believe in God. I don't want that God anymore. Wow, what happened? Believing God, not wavering. It's an unwavering faith that we want. If you're caught in the middle, you're not going to receive anything. 
and you're still going to be vacillating, bouncing around, double-mindedness, not a single focus, unstable in every area of life. Have you known people that have been so unstable? They're knocked about by this, and then they're knocked about by this way, and then over this way, boom, boom. And that's the way they live their life, and it doesn't matter what it is, that's where they're at. And they're never happy. They never see their life as blessed, and they're always negative thinking, unstable. True stability in life comes to those who trust God. They believe God. In the midst of any kind of trial, circumstance it may be. Let's close. Father, thank You for Your Word, for Your truth. May we line up with Your truth, Your Word, Your will, and let Your way be done because You have a purpose You have a reason that you're doing and we with our puny minds do not understand. But with the mind of Christ, which is immense that you have given us, we can understand that these things that are brought on, that are given to us, are actually blessings in disguise. In Jesus' name, Amen.
in His Word, in song, reading up the Word, communion. If I can ask Bob here to. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to you realizing we have been blessed by your word, by uh, the feeding of, of your word of God that comes from you by the power of your spirit. And it tells us how we are to live our lives. It goes against the grain of everything out in the world. But we know it's absolute truth, it's absolute wisdom. You demonstrated the greatest wisdom of all at the cross. The plan of redemption is incredible, Lord, and no man could have ever come up with this precious truth. What wisdom it took. Oh, the depth of the riches, the knowledge and wisdom that you have. And you share that with us. And you're always willing to give us all the wisdom we can ever need. And it's because the body and the blood, which these symbols represent, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ that was shed, we were redeemed, you covenanted with us, 
all by your grace and brought us into the family of God and how we used to think before is absolutely opposite of the way we think now. Keep changing our minds to be conformed to the very image of Christ, to be conformed to your word, your precious truth. And these elements remind us of what we've been given. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. This represents the blood that was shed for forgiveness of sins, which we're very sorry of, but to know that we've been redeemed, no longer under the bondage of sin and death and hell, Satan. We've been set free, free of those bonds because of the blood of Christ. The price that was paid, we are redeemed. And so we take the blessing cup, the cup of redemption. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. You're redeemed.